Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to all of you who are worshiping online and everybody in the room. It's really good to see you. And uh, I know we had a whole lot of folks uh, walk through some tough stuff the last few weeks. And so it's just good to see you and it's good to see your faces and uh, just good to be together in this way and good to connect online. Thank God for that resource. Uh, we're in week two of, of a little two-week thing here that we've called the generosity of grace. This idea that that God's grace to us does something through us. And last week we talked about Macedonian math. We talked about this little collection of churches um, who were asked by the Apostle Paul. These are churches that he started, uh, the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey, um, specifically the churches in Philippi and in Thessalonica and in Berea. He said, hey, uh, them and a whole bunch of other churches, we need to help the Christians who are really struggling in Jerusalem. And so he's asking them, would you please pray about being part of this, right? And then he gives this report to the church at Corinth that, that these collection of churches were facing some stuff that resulted in generosity. We called it a, a generosity sandwich, that, that they were severe affliction was their reality and extreme poverty was their reality. But right smack dab in the middle of that what was this abundance of joy, this overflow of joy that resulted in this generosity sandwich, that God's grace at work in them spilled out from them and resulted in this generosity. This morning we're going to talk about uh, joyful generosity. We're going to talk about uh, the, the joy and the, the celebration of generosity. And I don't know about you. But there just hasn't been a whole lot of cheerful in a whole lot of conversations I've had with a whole lot of people lately. <laughs> now, there's been grumbling, which is appropriate when life's difficult. I'm, I'm not uh, bashing on anybody, but there's just not been a lot of what I would call cheerful. There's not been a lot of yeehaw, pom-poms and toe touches and stuff. Like, people have been like, I'm getting through, you know, <laughs> right? And so um, this morning, we're going to connect cheerful to something that's bigger than our circumstances, uh, namely the grace of God at work in us. So grab your Bible if you would this morning, if you're in the room or if you're online, and I'm going to ask you wherever you are today, here or wherever you are, to hold up your Bible and say this creed together with us as we declare this in faith and in hope this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Turn to 2 Corinthians again. We were in 2 Corinthians 8 last week. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. And uh, really there's a whole paragraph that really fits well together with this morning's thought. I would encourage you um, kind of on your own this week to read verses 6 through 15. We won't probably have time to go through all of this this paragraph, this thought uh, about this continued conversation of these churches in that part of the world. Um, we said last week that part of the world is near the Balkans. So when, when he talks about the churches of Macedonia, he doesn't mean Macedonia where Macedonia is today. Macedonia today is its own little country. And that part of history was more of a region and really probably captured more of what we would call Greece and north. Uh, the Balkans down south towards Greece. That whole region of the world is is where he's talking about God being at work here. And he continues this conversation, devotes two whole chapters, really, to this conversation. And we're going to read just two verses to start off this morning, verses 7 and 8. 
Verse 7 says this, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's going to be the heartbeat of what we talked about this morning, which is why I slowed down and said it that way. A cheerful giver, right? Next verse, uh, verse number eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So that's the, the heartbeat this morning as we're talking about the generosity of grace is the generosity of grace pours over into this thing called cheerful giving or cheerful generosity or what, what this morning we're calling it joyful generosity. So I want us to look again at verse number seven and really focus in on the word cheer because uh, it, it's really important that we understand what's meant by cheer. And if we think of cheer as happy, I think we'll miss the meaning of this verse because this word really means something that we don't totally have an English word for. We have an English phrase for this kind of cheerfulness, but we don't necessarily have a word because when we think cheerful, again, we think toe touch, rah, rah, cheer leader, right? And there's something different than, hey, something's going on. Let's cheers about something. It's more about something's going on inside of me that's changed something inside of me that's now changing something outside of me. The, the true definition of cheerful here, beyond just happy, here's a, a, a textbook definition from a, a, a Greek scholar. He says, this is describing someone who is cheerfully ready to act, to do something, in this case, to give, in the context of this verse. So cheerfully ready to give because they are already persuaded of something else. They're already convinced of something else. They're already won over about something else that produces a joy in them to respond, in this case, in giving. Joyful generosity is convinced that there's a bigger story, that there's something bigger going on than just a gift and just a giver and just a recipient. Something more is up. Something more is going on than just a, hey, here's a handout. Here's a hand up. Here's some help. Man, there's something bigger at play that's, that's beyond us, that's bigger than us. And because it's bigger than us, we have joy that overflows into an action. In this case, the action of giving. We're persuaded. In this uh, grammatical context in English, we would say giver is a noun, cheerful describes it, it's working as an adjective here. If we just took these words together, and grammatically that is correct, and theologically it is incorrect. Because cheerful does not describe the giver, it explains why the giver wants to give to begin with. I would say it this way, it doesn't explain the gift, it empowers the gift. That cheerfulness is the fuel that drives giving. It doesn't just explain how we give, it explains why we give. Because something's going on. There's something bigger at work here. And the something bigger is nothing less than the glorious grace of God. 
which is why this is connected to this next verse, that, that we would be a cheerful giver. That sounds really inspiring. Where's that come from? And we look at verse number eight where it says, God is able. Like I got joy in my heart right now today. Not because I believe I'm able, not because I believe you're able, not because I believe the economy is able, not because I believe the government is able, not because I believe a vaccine is able. I have joy in my heart today because my God is able. Able to what? Yep. (laughs) He's able. My hope and my trust is not in my circumstance or my feeling or my ability to even help someone else. It's in what God is up to. And when we're convinced, that, that's the heart of that word cheerful. When we're convinced that we serve a God who's able in his grace that, that, that wells up in us a confident joy that's contagious. I know that's a dangerous word now. It spills over and infects the world around us with the same grace that's welling up within us. We're convinced that God is able. And and I don't know what it is about the last 10 months, but I'll just tell you, there's never been a season in my life I've been more convinced that our God's able. Like, he is on the throne. He's doing just fine. He hasn't taken a sick day. He hasn't messed up. 2020 is not an oops on his radar. And 2021 will not be either. God is able. I'm convinced. Like, like a lunatic. Convinced. You can't convince me otherwise. Convinced. That he's able. And here's what I believe he's able to do. All. That's a big word. Both literally and metaphorically. Like what we did there? It's big. It's a big word. (laughs) I'll enjoy it. You don't have to like it. I'm going to have fun with it. So probably like half of you, or not, a bunch of you have sat in my office at some point in time and used words like all, always, or never. You've consistently heard me say, can we reframe that? Which is a really nice way of saying, uh-uh, no. Because one of the things that, that frequently I hear from people is, hey, my boss all the time does blank. Or my spouse all the time says blank. Or my husband all the time forgets blank. Right? And what I frequently say, oh, or, or the inverted side of all, which is the negative side of all, which is never. All the time, never. All the time, they don't do whatever. Take out the trash. And, and, and what I'll say in those moments is, all is almost always an exaggeration, and never is almost never true, if we say it. But when God says all, we don't have to reframe that. All we have to reframe is our faith in it we got to reset our hearts in how able he is. He's all the way able. And here's what his all authority, all ableness is for. For him to make all of his grace abound to you. 
Like it's not just that God's sitting in the heaven with all authority of all. It's that he's at work with all of that, making all of his grace available to you. That's really good news today. All grace. Like not just enough to get by, not enough to survive, not enough to limp along. All grace abound to you. And what his grace does when it abounds to us is it literally can change the posture of our hearts. Because he's saying he makes all grace abound to you so that we can operate in, exist in, do life in, uh, be married in, survive our jobs in all sufficiency. Like sufficient, enough. Jesus, you're still enough. That word is is content. That word means satisfied. His grace means he's given us enough to walk through whatever we're walking through. You say, everything? Yes, all grace for all sufficiency in all things. Even pandemics, even economic downturn, even political uh, difficulties. That's the next word, all grace, all sufficiency in all Things. Ben, are you with us? Are we? Are we? There she is. There we go. All things, everything. Right? So a week ago, uh, me and my youngest son were driving down the road, and, and one of us said something, and the other one said, anything. And I thought about Cat in the Hat. Have you seen Mike Myers' Cat in the Hat where he does the little infomercial? Do you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about, because you're just looking at me like crazy. Yes, okay, all the parents are like, yes, unfortunately, we know what you're talking about. The infomercial, he's like, you can put anything in here. And the guy goes, anything, yes, anything, anything, right? And so Bryce and I are driving down the road just saying the word anything at the top of our lungs with our windows down while people next to us looked at us like we'd lost our minds. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. God has made all of his grace all the way available to all the way satisfy you through anything, all the time, all things, all the time. God's grace is not situational. It's not circumstantial. It's faithful. That's some awesome all that we get to sit in and enjoy this morning. All of his grace to all the way satisfy our hearts, all the things we face at all times. Yay us. Yay, Team Jesus. Sign me up. Because I'm not hearing anybody else offering any of this, let alone all of it. Him alone. Only Jesus can satisfy the longs of the human heart. That's the work of his grace. In all things at all times. That's really good news. But it's not just good news for us. It's good news through us. That's what giving is. Because he doesn't just say, hey, I want to make all grace abound to you so that you can be the whole way satisfied in me, no matter what things you walk through and no matter what times, so that you can just wait till you die. He's doing this to produce in us and through us all good work. And I love that 
Um, ben asked me this morning, he's like, is that a typo? Is it supposed to be works, plural? No, it's the singular work of the glory of God, the advancement of the kingdom of God among the people of God for all the world. His work through the work of his grace. That what God has done for us and what he is doing in us is not just to be enjoyed by us, but is to work through us. That's the generosity of grace. That if God's done all that for me, I don't want to hoard it. I want to be a conduit of that. That's the work of grace. (laughs) And I am convinced that this is the heart of God. And in that convincedness, there's joy. There's, there's joy that overflows into wanting other people to taste that joy. Through a cup of cold water, through a warm meal, through a, an encouraging conversation, and through the sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just for us, it's through us. That's the joy that grace produces. Which takes us back to that previous verse. That's what it means to be a cheerful giver, convinced that something else is up here. And and here's what that is. Because often when we think of giving, I know we always end up thinking about money, despite the fact that I hate talking about money in church. But here's what cheerful giving is. Cheerful giving is, is convinced that when we finish the transaction on our phone, or when we drop a little envelope in a box, God's doing something way more with this than what I could ever begin to believe. That just might change somebody else's life the way his grace has changed mine. Convinced there's something bigger at work than just the giver, than just the recipient, than just the gift. It's his glory. Absolutely convinced. So I want to talk about my shoes I am excited to talk to you about my shoes. I actually told our camera folks, I said, man, stay on camera too a lot this morning because it's the only camera that gets like head to foot. The year was 1989. (laughs) Don't you love when pastors start a story that way? No, for real. The year was 1989. One of the top songs that was released in 1989 was Linda Rodstam, right? Aaron Neville, I don't know much. I don't know. I love you. That made me all I need to know. That's good music. I'm sorry, Post Malone. That's good music. Nineteen eighty nine, we had some premiere things that changed television. It was the year that Seinfeld first aired. At my age in nineteen eighty nine, I was more interested in the fact that that was the first year Saved by the Bell came on the air. Yeah, it was the year uh, that the show launched Rescue Nine One One. And you knew some stuff was fixing to go down when Captain Kirk said tonight. Oh, and rescue. 911. 
That show could have had twice as many stories in it if he would have just talked faster. Anyways, um, I didn't know this, but Lance told me this was the year that Baywatch launched. Um, but I'm a Christian. I didn't watch that. Um, I'm totally kidding. He did not tell me that. Deanna's like, oh, really? I made that up. I promise. Um, is the year that we had the finale of ALF. Yes. Right? Huh? Ha! Like, oh, that's just good TV right there. I don't care who you are. Uh, is the year that we said goodbye to Miami Vice? Right? Yeah? All you young people are just like, yeah, I watched that on my retro feed on YouTube. Um, so that year was also the year that Michael Jordan uh, released his fourth pair of shoes, the Jordan 4s. My brother Mark, who was my hero and my best friend and later would become my spiritual mentor and my spiritual father, uh, we were all things Michael Jordan. Um, well, I say that. We were mentally and emotionally all things mental Jordan, uh, but we didn't really like own anything Michael Jordan. It was, it was just in our heads, you know, because uh, uh, it's not that we were that poor. It's that my parents are that cheap. Um, my mom's watching now. Um, you know, she should have been a depression baby, but she wasn't a great depression baby. She just lived like it. And so um, we got the basket shoes at Kmart, Blue Light Special. Let's just keep talking about 1989 since we're parking here. <laughs> um, man, so the Jordan 4s came out, um, and my brother Mark wanted those shoes so bad. And I cannot tell you how many yards he cut and how many uh, birthday and, and Christmas gifts he saved to save and save and save to finally get those shoes. And I will tell you this, these shoes came out in 1989, but Mark did not get them in 1989 because it took him a year or two to save up the money for them. And then when he finally got them, he treated those things like gold. It was, it was really cool. It was kind of the first thing that, that ever meant that much to him, his Senior pictures, he graduated from high school in 1990-91. Uh, he's standing there with these shoes on, you know. And so as, as the Jordan brand has been uh, re-releasing these shoes with their retro package, yes, we're old enough that the stuff from our teen years is retro. Let's just sit in that for a minute. I've thought, I wonder if he's ever going to release the Fire Red Jordan 4s. And they haven't for years. Been waiting, waiting, waiting. And so a few months ago, don't tell me everything in 2020 was bad. They finally released the Fire Red Jordan 4s. I'm like, this is awesome. But they were not affordable. And I thought, well, Mark didn't get his in 1989. I won't be getting mine in 2020. We'll wait a couple years. Let the price come down. But those of you who know about my brother Mark, you know uh, we lost him uh, to death by suicide in 2011. And, uh, man, there's obviously a, a lot of connection to him and his story and how his legacy still continues to play out in my life and ministry. And so I don't remember how I told about these shoes to who in my family, but somehow they decided to surprise me. And <laughs> I didn't cry when you gave them to me. <laughs> 
It meant the world. Like, it was the coolest gift I think I've ever gotten. And they had to go through a lot of trouble to get them. And then they put it in this giant box and wrapped it in paper. So I had no idea what it was under the tree. It was the coolest thing. But as cool as this gift was to receive, watching how excited they were for me to open that package was a visual glimpse of what it is to be a cheerful giver. Because because of Mark's story, they knew there was something way bigger going on here than shoes. Right? And they could not wait for me to tear into that gift because of the thing you can't put words to, the, the thing that's invisible. Something else is up. Right? They were convinced. They were convinced They were giving a gift bigger than shoes. And I believe that's the heart of God's people. Like we just know something's up when God uses us. That's bigger than what it looks like. And quite frankly, if you've not experienced all of his grace, it might not even be noticeable or visible. Or maybe we can't even describe it. But the the true joy of generosity is in the the convinced state of heart that something bigger is up. And for us, what we believe that is, is that God takes a kind word from us, a simple act of, of love towards someone or a financial gift, and literally brings dead people to life with it. <laughs> How crazy is that? That's the convinced foundation that leads to joy. And that's what the definition of a cheerful giver really is. And so that's what a what joyful generosity is. For a couple minutes, we're going to talk about what it isn't. And then we'll close by talking about what it does. So what joyful generosity is, is it's, it's convinced that, that his grace is doing something bigger than we can perceive. Here's what it's not. Look back again to verse number 7. Uh, we'll park there for, for the next several minutes back again at verse number 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And, and that part of the verse has always made sense to me for why cheerful would mean happy, because, man, cheerful is pretty much the opposite of all those things. But I think there's a deeper understanding or, or a deep, deeper meaning here. And, and so I would say three things that I think this reveals what joyful generosity is not. Number one, it's not manipulation. It, it's not trying to get something from God. So we give because we know we're going to get something from him. I, I wrote down in my notes months ago, it, generosity is not reciprocity. Right? We're not waiting for God to reciprocate. Generosity is not reciprocity. Some of us who've traveled together uh, on mission trips, one of the first things we do when we get off of a plane is we have to go to uh, whatever money exchange uh, place that they have. Now, some of you have traveled with me when we've actually done that, like outside the airport in kind of sketchy settings or whatever, because we bartered and negotiated a better rate of exchange. That's not what giving is in the kingdom of God. I'm going to give this, but it's because I'm expecting you to do this. Generosity is not reciprocity. 
So I, I wrote that down in my notes. I don't know how many weeks ago. And then this week, I heard a very well-known, very influential um, prosperity gospel preacher say, giving is reciprocity. He used the same word. Like he read my notes backwards. And, and he said this. I actually paused it, wrote down the quote. I, I, wanna, I don't want to misspeak. He said to his people, you can't expect to get something from God when you're not giving something to him. You can't, hello, you can't expect to get something from God if you're not giving something to him. And that is literally the inside out, backwards, upside down version of the gospel, I believe. Because I believe... (laughs) We can't expect to give God something unless he's given us something. Right? And what we give is the overflow of what he's already given freely, graciously, all the way, all grace. It just spills over. God's not, number one, God's not in need. Oh, I hope they're obedient to give. Don't know if I'm going to be able to keep these planets spinning without their good deeds. Right? I mean, think about it. That was sarcastic. I'm sorry. But think about how foolish it is to think that God needs something from us. What kind of God needs? And, and, and then what kind of loving God is like, man, I really want to bless you, but you haven't given to me yet. So, mister, you get your act together. I got this nice shiny toy up here just waiting for you to be nice. What? But that's the heart of every religion in the world, except the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't believe in the gospel of karma. What goes around doesn't come around, because if it did, I wouldn't be here. Thank God for his grace. Thank God we don't get what's coming to us. So, giving is not manipulation. Generosity is not reciprocity. Here's the other thing I would say this. Um, Not just that it's not manipulation. Joyful generosity is not obligation. It's not duty. It's not religious requirement. It's not I gotta, I better, I have to. It's not I should. And again, some of you in this room have heard me talk about the shoulds. So many people come into my office beating themselves up about how they should be a better parent, they should be a better spouse, they should be a better this, and they should be a better that. And that language is never from Jesus. That's from the accuser who's always telling us we're less than, we're not enough. It's the language of shame. And so you've heard me say over and over, over again in my office, don't should all over yourself in here. I said should. What are you talking about? Pray for my mom just had a heart attack on the live stream. Um, and that, that's, that's religion. That is a giant pile of religion. But that's not grace. If we're doing it out of duty, there's no joy in that. And that's not the heart of Jesus. It's not the heart of the gospel. And it's most certainly not the heart of God's word. So, what is it? It is, it is cheerful because we're convinced 
Joyful generosity is convinced there's something greater going on. What is it not? Joyful generosity is not manipulation or obligation. And then the third thing it's not is joyful generosity is not tithing. Joyful generosity is not tithing. Hear me out. Um, if you're new to church and not been around church and you're like, what's tithing? The word tithing literally means tenth. The word tithe means tenth, one-tenth. We see principles in the Old Testament that, that before the law of God was given, um, that his children gave a tenth of what they had and then often gave beyond that tithes and offerings. And then later God required that of his people. We see the pattern of the tithe continuing to be the starting point in the New Testament. But I often hear from people, time out, isn't tithing Old Testament? And technically the answer is yes. The New Testament principle is joyful generosity. So now the question becomes, so is the standard in the New Testament lower than tithing or higher than tithing? And you're not going to like the answer. Because repeatedly what we see is God's doing something greater in the kingdom of grace. And the conversation about tithing, 90% of the times I have this conversation, is about what's the minimum I can get away with. What's the least I can give? And my question to you is, does that sound like generosity? Hey man, I am here for you. I'm going to do whatever I can. What's the least I can do and you feel better about your situation? Does that person feel very like loved and like you're there to give? And help? That's not the heart of generosity. The law absolutely demanded a tithe, but it existed before the law. And I think remains uh, maybe a base standard. I love how Randy Alcorn talked about this. He said, uh, being under grace does not mean living by lower standards than the law. The teaching of Jesus, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, is with issues like murder and adultery and making a promise or taking an oath. Jesus made it clear that, that God's standards are actually higher than the standards of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And this is what Randy Alcorn said. He said he never lowered the bar. He always raised it. But he also empowers us by his grace to jump higher than the law demanded. Like if all he did was raise the bar, that would be bad news. But all grace at all times and all things to make all sufficiency be real for us means he doesn't lower the bar. He raises it. So, okay, if you got a kid who really wants to dunk a basketball, you have two options. Lower the rim or pick the kid up. Every religion in the world tries to lower the bar or to lower the rim and tell you, try really hard. You can get it. And the gospel of grace lifts us up beyond any capability we could ever have and accomplishes through us what we could never do on our own. I think tithing is a healthy place to start a conversation. As long as the conversation doesn't stay there. Quickly, let's move on. Joyful generosity is being convinced that something bigger is going on. That's where the joy is found. Joyful generosity is not manipulation. It's not obligation. And it's not just a conversation about do I got a tithe or not. But here's what joyful generosity does. Joyful generosity bears fruit 
for generations to come. So here's why I believe that to be true. Because you're part of that story in the Macedonian churches today. The year was 2021. Let me tell you another story. But this one's recent. It's not from 1989. I want to tell you a story not about a pair of shoes. I want to tell you a story about a mixer. You purchased that mixer. You might not know that, but last week, week before last, you purchased that mixer. Again, for sake of time, we, we didn't read the rest of the text. I really encourage you, please, please read it at some point in time. It talks about the principle of reaping and sowing. It talks about God's grace in us resulting in his glory in the hearts of the recipient of a gift of grace. Among the churches in Macedonia. I told you in the Balkans, right? Here's the thing. Thessalonica. If you travel north about five hour drive. You drive north about five hours and you will land smack dab in the heart of a city named Pea Kosovo. For some of you, we've been together. In the heart of what the Apostle Paul's meaning, this is, this is real estate that would have covered the churches in Macedonia. And here's what I can say about the church in Kosovo. God is still reaping a harvest from what began 2,000 years ago. There's a, a church right there that, that God is growing and, and that is, is taking shape and taking form in a beautiful and glorious way. And, and the mission of our ministry partners there, the George family, their mission is not to go plant an American church and run a church. Their mission is to, to be used by God to see a local work grow on its own, in its own way with local leadership and so for that to happen they don't want that church to be dependent on american funds flowing in and so that new building where that church is gathering is a coffee shop that the whole city knows was started by americans which makes it unique but to to really launch a coffee shop you can't just have coffee and so dave has spent months and months and months trying to figure out how can we make good bagels that would be the unique thing here in Paya. He has spent months and months figuring out how can we make, I, I, I hope I can say this on camera without him being sued, how can we make Krispy Kreme donuts in Paya Kosovo? He's been like studying recipes and stuff. And so last Sunday morning as they gathered for worship was the first time they did a big test run of donuts. And he's telling me about this vision, and he's like, man, it just takes us forever because we really need a commercial mixer, but we haven't had time to fundraise for one yet. But because you've been faithful to give in the midst of a pandemic, we had Mission Projects Fund available to go, dude, we'll buy you a mixer. And, and, and what a little mixer means is that the work of God would continue among the churches in Macedonia 2,000 years after their generosity. Is that crazy? 
So my favorite picture from that Sunday is the next generation helping people feast on donuts so that maybe they might end up feasting on grace. Helps that she's a cutie. We miss you, Ellen. And the reason I think that's just so incredible is because that's our story too. Hang with me. The offering from those churches was for the church in Jerusalem. And without the church in Jerusalem, do you realize the gospel never would have spread around the world? And you and me would never have heard about the grace of Jesus Christ if the church in Jerusalem had not survived her struggles and her trials. And so we are part of the harvest that God bore out in the generosity of grace among those churches. And now we get to be part of that story going back to their hometown. How cool is that? And and not just across the world and not just from 2,000 years ago. It's the story that we're standing in right now. The reason that this ministry exists is because we've inherited a legacy of some people who sacrificially invested in the kingdom of God advancing in northeast Fort Worth. It's one of the coolest things when a family shows up at the daycare and they're like, I was here. My diaper was changed here as an infant. And I want my baby to be cared for here. It's the coolest thing. It's the coolest thing when a graduate comes back with their kid at TCS and they're like, we want to take a tour. Because in those moments we get to see what we can tend to forget when we just show up and leave this place every day. And that is God's bearing generational fruit. And the reason that's so important about the generosity of grace is I want you to hear this. What that tells me is that God's not done yet. The God who is able is going to stay able and continue to bear fruit until he comes again. He's not done. Like if he just started bearing fruit in this place, this church is only 75 years old. He ain't even started yet. What he's doing is bigger than us. What he's doing through us is bigger than just ministering to us. It's through us. He's not done. I'm convinced that God's up to something in you and through you. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss it. Man, I I want to turn down the noise of distraction. And I want to look to the God of all grace and just see what he might be doing in us and through us.